I was like, I feel like I still have so much to prove and it's not to other people, it was just to myself. I really knew I had time and I just felt like I needed to go after it. That is Maya Reddy. Maya is a former professional golfer who just recently secured her law degree from the University of Pennsylvania. This is Open Invite, a three-part series that shares Maya's path in golf. Despite success as a junior, being named All-American three times in college, and eventually competing at the professional level, Maya's relationship with golf hasn't always been straightforward. After leaving college in Southern California to embark on her professional career, Maya began unpacking her relationship with her identity as a queer woman of color and navigating those identities in a space that historically has not been the most welcoming. In this final episode, we'll hear how Maya took a shot at professional golf, how she turned anger into advocacy, and how Maya's personal relationships have given her the confidence to return to golf with newfound energy. I'm Connor, and I'm one of the hosts of the Group Golf Therapy Podcast. The Open Invite series is produced by us at Mind Your Media in conjunction with the team at Uncommon. Thanks for listening, and here's Maya. I could not get out of college fast enough. Nationals was a shit show. That entire second semester was like one of the most horrible experiences that I have gone through. And so when it came to graduation, it wasn't really celebratory. It was kind of like, get me the fuck out of here. I didn't really have anything lined up as far as job opportunities right after college. So I was feeling like really stressed about that. I was like, crap, like I need to find a job. I need to find a job. Nothing was coming. I moved to LA and I started working as an intern essentially for Night and Day Pictures and they do a lot of independent films. I was having a good time as those two months went on, but I quickly started realizing that like I miss playing competitively, like I miss playing. And then I started thinking about like playing professionally because I was like, I feel like I have a lot of unfinished business. I miss this, like I'm gonna regret it if I don't try. It was kind of a funny experience of me like going to my boss and being like, yeah, hey, uh, so I'm going to go play golf. <laughs> I started practicing more in L.A. I had reached out to my swing coach to be like, hey, do you think like I could do this? He was like, yeah, you just have to like it's a lot of work, but like I think you can do it. And so I essentially ran headfirst into playing professionally for a while. I was still living in LA and so I would actually every Thursday drive down to San Diego for a lesson with my coach. It was like a full day playing lesson with my swing coach at Aviara. Then I would drive back up to LA and we'd do that weekly until I eventually moved down to San Diego and was here full time. I was like, okay, I know that I, I need to just like strategize like I need to make sure I'm confident enough and at the position with my game where 
I feel ready to sign up for this tournament. And at that time, it was the Cactus Tour first, because Cactus Tour fed basically all of the West Coast. It was like, okay, I know in the January of 2015 is when I was going to sign up for my first tournament. And so I was going to spend, I think it was like three months or so leading up to that, getting in shape, getting shit together, like finding my swing, figuring out what it means to play competitively again, and especially in this atmosphere where you don't have a team. Maya's decision to turn professional ultimately reached her cousin Rohith, who had been her caddy in amateur tournaments. My reaction to that was, whoa, I didn't know that this was a possibility. I didn't really understand the hierarchy of women's professional golf and how there was these multiple tours and there's qualifying school and there's this path that actually seemed super legit. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. As her caddy, I didn't do much of the. Uh, I didn't. I didn't give much advice. I, I was not in the in, in the advice because that, that's not really. She wasn't looking for that. Let's just you know. So I was just carrying the bag. That's it. I only was able to afford all of this because of my parents. Like I have an incredible amount of economic privilege, like socioeconomic privilege. So the only reason I was able to do any of this was because of my parents. And even then, it was like I was hemorrhaging money because you don't really make a lot of money when you're playing golf professionally. For a lot of the women that I played on tour with, it was a grind. Like some had their parents helping, others had like a side hustle, doing various things to get extra income to be able to, at the very least, supplement like travel costs because even if you win at a mini tour tournament, you're barely going to break even on what you paid, entry fees, like all of that. It's really hard thinking about that because it's like, I know so many folks who do fundraisers on GoFundMes to at least meet a portion of the expenses they'll need coverage for for that season. And it's like tens of thousands of dollars because the sport is not fucking cheap. And then on top of that, it's like not just travel, entry fees, lodging, but it's also, you know, your coach, your membership at your home course, your equipment. And not a lot of people are lucky enough to get equipment sponsors or deals on equipment at that stage. And I feel really lucky that in a lot of ways I was able to have that, but it's not the norm. And so... If you take away all of the privilege that I have, it would not have been sustainable. You have to have a lot of privilege, whether it be socioeconomically, you know, image, what you look like, are you marketable to these different brands? So that ended up defining a lot of women's golf, like the aesthetic of women's golf. And all of these brands really latched onto that. So a lot of like women, a lot of athletes, got a lot of opportunities out of that, which is really fucking amazing. And it also created this kind of divide between those folks who looked like that, who were able to and had the confidence to be a part of this, and the athletes that didn't want to or didn't necessarily fit that image. And I think for me, being like this brown, very gay girl on the golf course, like, seeing all of that and I'm like I don't fucking look like that I want to be able to like be in booty shorts on the golf course but 
you know, like, that's just not me. And there's that logical part of me that was like, that's okay. But then everything else in the golf sphere made me feel like that wasn't okay. That like, I wouldn't be able to kind of get the support, get more kind of like resources that aren't just like hemorrhaging my parents if I didn't fit into that and I didn't. And so then what does that mean? And for me, it was like, okay, you just have to be really good. So I put so much more pressure on myself to like grind, grind, grind. And that doesn't really, (laughs) you know, like when you're obsessively trying to grind, right? Like that doesn't really beget results. And this was all even before thinking about how folks would be outright homophobic on the golf course or sexist or racist. And so it's like you pile that onto this already kind of like, how do I put my foot in women's golf? How do I kind of like get resources? How do I get support while I don't fit this image that the industry is kind of like really leaning into and not kind of balancing that with the different personalities and images of all of the athletes that are playing on the various tours. And then you add the racism and discrimination onto that. And it, for me, it was a perfect storm of just being like, okay, so I guess I don't belong. And I guess like, no matter how good I am, like I won't belong. And I kept trying, like I kept grinding out there, but it just wasn't clicking. And I had a full-on mental and emotional breakdown, which resulted in me taking a step back from playing professionally. But it was just like one traumatic experience with my coach, going through this process of like really trying to reclaim golf for myself. And for the, like I had a great time for the majority of my career. And then all of these things started becoming like more and more pronounced that it was just like, fuck, like as soon as I found my way back, it got taken away again. Those two experiences combined, I completely like lost it. And that's when I finally started going to therapy. I thought it was for the best. At that point, she had tried for a couple years and came very, very close to really getting to that next level. And it's just such a grind. It really seemed like she needed a change of pace. And so I was totally supportive. The problem with being in a solo sport and it's just all you, that's a huge weight on your shoulders, you know? And I think uh, it was really starting to become a, a big, big thing. You know, if you can't make it like Maya did, it's time to find something else. Just have these honest conversations instead of having these young people basically burn out, put so much strain on their mental health for an unrealistic goal. Through that last year, 2016, I was kind of like, if I'm not going to make it big, like if I'm going to be kind of like in this stalled area with my game, trying to like figure out my brain process my trauma like all of these things what can I do in the meantime that has some sort of impact or like that is in service of myself and so like for me that was leaning more so into advocacy like trying to find supports that way I was really leaning into 
what Athlete Ally was doing to be like, okay, look, there are queer athletes, queer athletes of color that are getting support, taking it a step further. Look at this organization that's really fighting for their sports to be more inclusive. It kind of got to the point where I was like, wait, no, I want to be a part of this because nobody is having these conversations in golf. Athlete Ally brought me on as an ambassador and that whole process was them listening to me and listening to my story and believing me and wanting to tell it, there was a lot of power in that because I I felt like I was a freak being like so, I was like, I'm just too sensitive. If I was more resilient, then I would be better at golf. Like I would be able to weather all of this. I would be able to, to stick it out. And so I was like being really, really hard on myself. So I was like, how do I fix this culture so that it doesn't feel for a lot of marginalized identities like myself that it's tearing you down? And so I just got more and more involved with Athlete Ally and I kind of saw the pathway to being involved as kind of working on policy issues, being more visible. And at that point, it was a lot of like visibility. Queer golfers exist. How do we talk about this? How do we make sure people know that queer golfers exist? I was just really fucking angry about my own experiences and wanted to like avenge myself in a certain way. And for me, that was like fighting in the courts. It was being as unapologetically myself and talking about my love of golf and my experiences in golf and reclaiming all of this. A big part of me processing was harnessing my anger and putting it into the advocacy work. But I also still couldn't go to the golf course without having like really bad anxiety attacks. It took like two years for me to go back onto a golf course and feel comfortable and feel like I belonged there. Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Cantor. I'm the founder of Uncommon, and I'm incredibly proud to release our Open Invite collection. Open Invite is an uncommon capsule collection designed to be a call to action for inclusivity. It's built on a belief that tomorrow can be better than today. It's a story told through golf, but it's bigger than golf. Proceeds from the Open Invite collection will benefit the Out Foundation and Athlete Ally and their work to defend the rights of the LGBTQIA community in sport. Head over to uncommon.golf to grab your set of Open Invite golf balls. Thank you for listening, and now back to Maya. I met Sam three months into law school. I was just really lonely. Like I was getting used to law school and I was like, I'm going to start dating. Like my entire life is defined by law school and this really sucks. Her Tinder picture was really, really hot. And I was like, there's no way she's going to swipe right on me. And then she did. I almost didn't swipe right because in her Tinder bio, it it sounded great. And then at the bottom, it just said something casual. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know if that's where I'm like at right now. You know, it was almost 30. I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I want that kind of arrangement or need that kind of an arrangement. But I I guess your pictures, Maya, uh, (laughs) did me in. 
And then we just started talking. It was like one of those first conversations where you're like so anticipating the next message or the next notification. I was just like, you want to go out and get a drink? And then we did. I remember like walking in the door, seeing her. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, she's so hot. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? It was such a good date. And the entire time I was just like freaking out because I was like, oh my God, I like her so much. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Oh my God, like there's no way this, like, oh my God, don't get your hopes up. When we first went on our first date, she kind of intimidated me. You know, I thought she, in terms of success, was a bit out of my league. And then ironically, she was apparently texting her friend from the bathroom being like, she's so cool. I think she's out of my league. So (laughs) we definitely have a deep-seated respect for each other. Looking back on it, it like 500% was like love at first sight, first conversation. And now we're engaged uh, two and a half years later. It's like so hard to put Sam into words or like how much I love her or how much she means to me and inspires me and like the impact that she's had on my life. But it's just, it's immense. I think her ambition is truly, it, it's its hard to explain because there's not many people you'll meet in your life who, at least that I've met in my life, that have that level of drive and ambition. I have the most respect for people who, when they encounter hard circumstances, they then say, not how can I just change this for myself, but how can I make this different for other people so that they don't have to experience what I experienced. She's used her ambition and she's pivoted a lot, which again is incredibly hard, you know, and every time she pivots, she she does it in a way to make the sport and honestly the world and the people involved in it safer and more included. And I just think what an incredible legacy to leave, especially where working on having a baby. So I'm just honestly thrilled to see. I think that's going to bring out a new side to Maya that her and I have never seen. And I'm really excited for it. <laughs> and the reason why any of us play golf is to find joy on the golf course. It's like to play. And the reason most of us do advocacy work is to fight for the joy of yourself and your own community. For me, it's like fighting so that my kids can be joy, so that the kids out, you know, like the brown queer kids out there playing can be joyful and have that like unbridled joy that isn't being systematically stomped out by people in power. Joy is a radical act of resistance. And I think I've learned so much of that through my relationship and advocacy isn't everything like it is everything but like for an individual so for myself it's like advocacy means the world to me and it's just like it's something that I I never want to stop doing because it really is in service of my younger self but it's also like what is in service of my younger self is like building a family with the woman I love like being you know present being like myself and getting to feel that joy because it's not just for like the next generation. 
Something that I'm still learning, it's like trying to remember that the only way this brave new world we're all fighting towards, this like really inclusive world of golf where queer and trans athletes are not just accepted and included, but celebrated just like any other athlete. It's really important, but I was losing myself in it, losing like who I am and my own joy. And I think progress is not done if you are rooting it in martyrdom. Like I think there needs to be joy and I'm learning that. And I have never been more kind of present on the golf course without hearing Sam's voice in my head about just having, you know, like this isn't my job anymore, right? Like it, it's to go have fun. And even if it was my job, it is to go have fun. At the end of the day, the most important thing is my family. And rooting myself in that has made me such a happier person. My experience and my story is just one. And I by no means want to say that my experience is representative because it's not, it's just one experience. But I really hope that it shows that no matter the safety that I felt like I had in being a good golfer and having a certain level of socioeconomic status and being an all-American, right? Like checking the boxes, I still essentially was shut out from the sport. No matter that I was ranked top three in the nation, right, like my coach was still abusing me. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what accolades you have. That doesn't protect you and that shouldn't be an excuse to not create more protections or create more visibility or more support. I just think it's really important to humanize and hear the stories of folks who have these lived experiences at every level of the game. I think that gives a lot of power and that gives a lot of context to why we're fighting for inclusion or why inclusion is important. Even though it seems like a lot of social justice issues in sports, especially golf, aren't being addressed, it's important to know that there are so many people who are working towards these goals. Like even if you're not seeing it on Golf Channel or Golf Digest, even though you're still hearing like, the same old white dudes with a boring ass commentary at these various tournaments, there are still so many people who may not have that giant ass platform that are doing the work and whose stories are just as important to be told and listened to. And I think that's like a really big key. It's like listening and remembering that you're not just out there alone, even though it does feel really lonely out there. I've talked a lot about joy, and I think that's what I'm really trying to lean into, like holding space for joy amongst all of the hard work and the hard things that we have to face and endure and just like making golf even more gay, even if it's just in my corner of the world. That I think right now is enough for me.
This was the open invite series about Maya Reddy. Open Invite is produced by Mind Your Media. Proceeds from Open Invite benefit the Out Foundation and Athlete Ally. Visit uncommon.golf to learn more about the campaign. Music in this episode was licensed by Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Hit them straight and mind your golf. Great. Amazing. We did it.